0: can't seem to get out of Deuteronomy chapter 4. But that's good, that's okay. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform, so that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. But you held fast to the Lord your God, and are alive today, every one of you. That is you who held fast. Verse 5 he says, See, I, I taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them. For that is your wisdom and your understanding. In the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And Father, it is wisdom. And it is understanding we seek today. And I pray that you'd show us how we might walk in these things. Again, Father, as we constantly pursue, we want to know how to be in your will, how to walk in your will, how to live lives that you desire, because we understand that by living a life that you desire, we live a life that will bring joy and peace and faithfulness and happiness, Father, into our into our homes and our families and our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask that you speak this morning, that these would be your words. Help us to hear your words and your words alone. Father, drown out all other words that might get in the way. And may we hear from you, Holy Spirit, as you teach us this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 4 is a call to obedience. It's Moses again in the fourth chapter of this of this long oration that he gives at the end of his life to all the people of Israel. And it's interesting because in Deuteronomy 4 we are called; Israel is called to obedience, and it's a literal precursor to the next 21 chapters that will follow. First, the call to obedience, then the statement about what you are to obedient, what you're to be obedient to. Moses recounts and relates the law with great relevancy for the people. We'll see that in coming weeks as the Lord provides. But first, Moses urges obedience before he goes back to laying it all out. He urges obedience to the law. And this law, he tells us very clearly, is about life. Verse 1, he says, Listen to the statutes and judgments which I'm teaching you to perform, so that you may live. So that you may live. Follow these, and you will have life, he says. You'll live. Just this last week, at the uh, D'Angelo house... They had, uh, Jeff and Penelope had an aunt and uncle visiting, and they had a, a real nice motorhome that they pulled up and was parked outside. It's one of those incredible jobs, you know, I don't know, 60 feet long, big, honking thing. And um, Leticia, little Leticia, was, was in the motorhome looking around, just uh, amazed by all of the gadgets and the doodads inside this, this vast, rolling house. And Leticia said to Penelope in the motorhome, she said, Mom, when is Aunt Barbara going to get dead so we can have this? <laughs> And the truth is, it takes a death for us to get an inheritance, doesn't it? (laughs) And it would take Aunt Barbara's death for for her to get the inheritance of of that motor home, of that motor coach. But but gang, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died that we might have our inheritance. He died that we might live. And not only did he die, but he resurrected to life to show us what would happen if we died in Christ. That we too would have a resurrection. That we too could live. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And the wonderful thing about being in Jesus Christ is he is all about life. He is all about making your life worth living. Wandering away from him, doing what we do in our own rebellion, it will bring about one thing, and I'll just lay it out clearly it will bring death. It will bring death of relationships. It will bring a death to your happiness. It will bring a death to your peace. It will bring death. The thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy, Jesus said. But I come that you might have life. So I ask you this morning, do you want life? Do you want to live? Moses as he opens up and begins to give this wonderful law says listen if you will follow these things you will live now I want to caution you before we take another step to remember that the law doesn't save you you will not find your salvation in keeping the things of the law however the law can give you life once you've already gained that salvation through the grace of Jesus Christ given to us on the cross he paid for it it's a done deal But you can live. And these things that we're going to be going into are all about life. This morning I want to talk about getting life. Not getting dead, but getting alive. About being alive in Christ and what that really means. And the reality is, gang, that the idealism of life in Christ can be very quickly crushed when you walk a few blocks in this thing called the church. We're just talking about this with the worship team this morning, how, boy, what we desire, and and I know it is what we all desire, is to see healing and to see restoration. We desire for people to walk into this old barn and just be amazed at the presence, the thick weight of the Holy Spirit here. To feel life when they come together in this place. To have life among us. And that's what we want so desperately, but at the same time, how often does our flesh get in the way And we get disappointed. And even today there are people who once were a part of the body of Christ, once who went to church, who no longer do. Why? Because the flesh got in the way. Maybe not even their flesh, but someone else's flesh. They came to the place for life, and they saw death, or they smelled rottenness, or they saw sin. And somehow, unfortunately, that reality of our humanity creeps in even to the church. And we all know that. We know that. And I want to encourage you again, what we talked about this morning in our group up here was that we need to and, and should be longing for and desiring for God by His Spirit to do amazing, miraculous things in here, understanding that our own flesh will sometimes get in the way. And so I, I want to know how do I deal? How do I fight? How do I fight for life? How do I stay alive on the battlefield? How do I function in such a way that the battlefield doesn't come into the body of Christ? Because, gang, the battlefield shouldn't be in here. The battlefield is out there. And yet the enemy, Satan, wants to bring the battle into here. He wants to cause strife and division and conflict among us. That's his game plan. And yet we want this to be a place of life. So I say, Lord, how do we do that? How do we learn to really fight the right battles and stand in this world? I want to talk about a couple of battlegrounds this morning that I see as Moses opens up and talks about obedience. And the first one is the biblical battleground. It's very obvious to me. And the second one is the spiritual battleground. And I want to talk about how to stay alive on both fronts. First, the biblical battleground. Again, Moses says, listen to these statutes, so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. You shall not add to the word which I am giving you or I am commanding you, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you, Moses says. And if there's one area where I believe the church in this world has retreated more than any other, it's on the biblical battlefield. I believe it's the place that we have backed off and I believe that if it's not a fulfillment of this prophecy it could be Amos chapter 8 verse 11 Behold the days are coming declares the Lord God when I will send a famine on the land not a famine for bread or a thirst for water but rather for hearing the words of the Lord He says people will stagger from sea to sea and from the north to even to the east they will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord but they will not find it Why won't they find it because there's too much adding to and taking away from the word of God There's too much of it. And we see it in extremes, and there are very subtle ways that it plays out in our culture, in our world. One of the great extremes is something that's been called the great American religion. Now, if you heard someone say, what's the great American religion? How would you answer that question? There is a religion birthed and born in this country that's called the great American religion, and it's Mormonism. Birthed in the land of the three, its founder claimed that the word of God had become corrupt over time. Now I ask you, what I asked the gang on Wednesday night, is the God who gave us his word not capable of keeping his word? Because the moment you say that the Bible has become corrupt, you have to assume that God can't keep control of it. That God and His authority cannot make sure that the word He gave stayed solid and pure. And my friends, it has. And not just because of historical evidence or archaeological evidence. I want to give you a piece. I, I shared this Wednesday night. I've got to share it again today because some of you haven't heard it and you need to. One of these little pieces of intrinsic evidence that is in the Bible. It's just awesome. It's so cool. Turn over and look at verse 25 of Deuteronomy chapter 4. I wasn't going to share this, but it's just... you got to hear it. And in your Bibles, you just need to write this in the margin when you find this out. One of these great little things that God does to say, This book is true. You can count on it. Verse 25, Moses is getting prophetic. And he says, When you become the father of children and children's children, and have remained long in the land, and act corruptly, and make an idol in the form of anything, and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, your God, so as to provoke Him to anger... He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you're going to possess it. And that's exactly what happened, isn't it? But listen, the phrase have remained long is one word in the Hebrew. Have remained long is one word. The word is yashane. Now, yashane in the Hebrew, let me back up. You understand that Hebrew numbers are also, letters are also numbers? that the Hebrew letters are also they all have numerical value to them and are used for mathematics and counting in the Hebrew language same way with Greek there are certain languages you've heard you know Roman numerals there are certain languages that will use that will use letters and numbers as the same thing. So every Hebrew letter is also a number. The word Yashain, which means have remained long in the land, if you add up the numbers of the word Yashain, put the numerals together, what you end up with is the number 582, which is precisely exactly how long Israel remained in the land before they were driven out. Have remained long. 582, 582 years. And then Israel was driven out.
1: What a coincidence.
0: <laughs> this word is sure, gang. It's solid. You can count on it. Paul said, dismantling, by the way, Joseph Smith's entire religious system in two short verses. He said in Galatians 1.6, I am amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. In verse 8 of Galatians 1, he says, Even if we are an angel from heaven... Should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be a curse. So right there, even if an angel were to show up this morning, you know, and the light shone on him, and, and he stood up and said, I have a new word for you. Our response is, that angel is a curse before God. Because there is no further gospel. There is no adding to, Moses says, or taking away from the word. But gang, it's not just in Mormonism, or some of these cults that get out there and get away from the word. It is in the church, And this frightens me, it bothers me. Cheryl and I were down at the Kia dealer down in Everett. And you know, when you go to buy a car, normally you you probably should take a book or something because you're there for six hours while they go back and forth and do play the little game that they play. So we're sitting there and talking with this lady who was helping us out. And as we were talking, we discovered that she was a Christian, which was great because then I told her I was a pastor and you need to get me a better deal. (laughs) Because we're on the same team here, and I'm driving for Jesus, man, so you got to do something for me here talking about her church, and I actually knew the youth pastor that that served there, and and, um, talking about the bridge and just different things, and and then somehow we got on the subject of 24, the show, 24, you know, Jack Bauer, oh man, what what a cool show, anyway, I'm addicted, Cheryl and I got that, well, it's another story for another time, but we're watching 24, so we're talking about it, (laughs) and she said, well, you know, what our pastor did just recently was a sermon series called 24. And she went on to describe it. 24. It was about the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, and, and it was great because, and this is the rather large church down in the in the Kirkland area. And she said, you know, we had we had video stuff that was going on, you know, and be scenes from 24, and there goes Jack Bauer, and there'd be clipped in a scene from the Passion of the Christ. And I'm going, <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> and then the sermon series was just awesome, you know, with a PowerPoint and the presentation and the media. She said, boy, it's just it was just really cool. And I went, wow, that that, that is really cool. It's really cool, and I started thinking. We got PowerPoint. <laughs> we have a computer in the back that we can run it from, from there. And then I began to think about how much I used to do that. And how cool and creative and, and, and how it was all about the media presentation. When I was in youth ministry in California, we did the same thing. Got a large group, youth group down there. And we had everything that we could do to, to, you know, shiny, flashy stuff to hit people's attention. The problem is it never gets them into the Word. We skip right over the top of it. And we miss what the Lord is trying to do. When we replace the pure Word with media-fused, entertainment-laced fluff, we miss the Word. And there's far too much of that going on in the church today. George Varna is quoted in The Last Christian Generation, the Josh McDowell book, which you ought to pick up. And he said, The various creative approaches in churches attempted over the course of this last decade have drawn much attention but produced little, if any, transformational impact. And he's right. How's the church doing with all the media? How are we doing with all the, the dramatic and, and, and the fun stuff up there? What happened to just opening up the Bible and saying, Lord, what do you have for us this morning? Moses says, he says, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you. The Lord does not need our hype, And the Lord doesn't even need our help. Embrace yourselves. Do you know that you don't even need a teacher? That was too quick an amen there. I mean, I was hoping for a few people say, No. The Lord doesn't need our help. Listen to what John says about teachers. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. He says, As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. Have a nice day. What John said. This is gospel truth here. You have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, so abide in him. And so you might say, okay, so why do we have teachers at all, Pastor Guy? Why do we need someone to teach then, if the Bible says we don't? For two reasons. And these are all biblical reasons. Maturing the body and nurturing the young. There is teaching that's necessary for the body. Paul says in Ephesians 4.11 that he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and some as teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. There is a place for teaching in the fellowship, in the church. What did the first century church do? Acts chapter 4. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and to the apostles, teaching and to fellowship so it is for the maturing of the body but it is also gained for the nurturing of the young this verse a little harsh but we need to read it Hebrews five twelve. the writer says by this time you ought to be teachers and he's talking generically across the board by this time you ought to be teachers You have need again, however, for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. And I want you to consider and ask the question, is that you? Are you one who by this time in your Christian walk should be a teacher, but you're still sucking on milk? Is the Spirit talking about you? I say, well, like, oh, but Rick, I'm called to all kinds of things. I'm just not called to teach. And my response to you is wrong. You are called to teach. Amen. You are called to teach if you are a child of God. If you are blood-bought by Jesus Christ, you are called. If you truly seek to be a bondservant of the Lord, you are called to be a teacher. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome and be kind to all, able to teach. (laughs) Patient when wronged, and with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Loved ones, if you are in Christ, listen, you have an anointing. You have an anointing. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have something that someone outside of Christ does not have when they open up the scriptures to read. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And His Spirit will teach us and explain to us and help us to understand that what we need in this fellowship, in the church at large, more of is more effective swordplay. We need more of those who are able to wield the sword of the word effectively in the battlefield, on the biblical battlefield, to refer back to scripture, to take friends and families and loved ones to the scriptures, to understand God's will and his word. People who are equipped in the word to handle it well. The biblical battlefront calls for effective swordplay. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now listen, this is important. When that is mentioned in Ephesians, Paul says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did you know that the sword is one of only two offensive implements that we have? Only two. The Bible talks about all kinds of armor that we can wear in the battlefield, but there are only two offensive weapons. The sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Word, and I'll get to the second one in a minute. Some people say, you know, the problem with the Bible is it's too heavy, it's too ponderous. There's too many verses. I can't find my way around this book. It's just kind of overwhelming. And I don't understand it. And it's a heavy thing. Listen, every one of us are called to handle the Word accurately. I'm going to give you a couple things to remember in this in this battlefield despite that we are in. And the first one is handle the word accurately. If you watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you you probably saw the the character, I know you saw the character Strider, Aragorn. And he always had that great sword that he wielded and he carried about wherever he went. Well, the character Viggo Mortensen the, the the actor, while he was filming, carried his sword everywhere he went. He took it everywhere. They go out to McDonald's. He had his sword on the hilt. <laughs> he went into the mall. He's swinging his sword, you know, and practicing. Because when the film crew shouted, you know, action, he wanted to have that thing in his hands as if he knew it, backward and forward. He didn't want to look awkward with it on the screen. And if you watch Aragorn with that sword, it's pretty cool. I watch it like I I want to swing a sword like that. <laughs> because he was practiced. And yet, listen gang, if you think that this sword is a heavy, ponderous thing, think again. It's not. There is power here and the Holy Spirit has the ability to work through you and bring this into your life in such a way that you can use it. Now when Paul says take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, the word sword there in the Greek is makaira which isn't a long sword, it's a dagger. It's a close in hand to hand combat kind of a sword. It's a small thing that was used by the Roman army when they were up close and personal. That's the kind of sword that's being described here. It's not the word, by the way, you Bible students, it's not the word logos, which means the divine expression of God. It's not the word biblos, where we get our word Bible. It's not even the word grafe, which means scriptures. It's maka ira, little dagger. This little sword is the little dagger of the word. Now, word there is interesting, because the word there is rima. Again, not Logos or biblot. Rima. What's Rima mean? It means a precise spoken word. So taken in context and understanding what the Bible says in this place, Paul says, The dagger of the Spirit, the precise spoken word of God. Take the dagger of the Spirit with you. Take the precise spoken word of God with you. How do I do that? How does it work? Listen closely. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 says the following. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakens, morning by morning, he wakens my ear to hear as the learned, or the disciple. The disciple, gang, knows how to speak a word in season, a word to the weary. And there is not a one of us here who cannot know how to speak a word in season. There is not a one of us that this should be lost on game because Jesus said in John 14, 26, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you.
1: Amen.
0: You don't have to sit around and go through memorization courses. You just need to be in the Word. Because the more you're in the Word, the more you're going to be able to handle that little dagger, the precise spoken Word of God, when you need it. Because the larger Word is already in you. Here's the point. The dagger of the precise spoken Word is fashioned from the larger sword of the Word itself. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God, logos, that is the big, divine, massive expression of God, Part of which is written, what we see written in the Bible, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What does that mean? It simply means that having the right word at the right time is dependent on being familiar with the whole word of God as often as possible and I said this before one of my prayers for us for you as a fellowship is that we would be incredibly biblically literate that we would know this book and understand it and have it in hand you know I was just talking with my in-laws the other day because we were talking about the Bibles coming in and out of here and Bill and Sharon do so much by the way you need to appreciate them keeping this barn straight and clean they come down here several times a week to do that but we were talking about the little Bibles that get handed out and passed out and And you know, as I think about it, it was Russ that I was talking to, not even my in-laws at all, so skip that. But Russ and I were talking about it, and he was saying, you know, we're having a tendency to see a lot of people just come on in because the Bibles are already here. Which is great, and it's wonderful. You know that if you come here and you forget your Bible, there's going to be one here for you. Terrific, and that's fine with me. However, are you getting used to the word that you've got with you through the week? Now, if you have one of those little paperback Bibles, I encourage you have a pen in hand and write all over it and let that be your sword. Like the guy who played Strider, Aragorn. Take that sword with you. Get familiar with it. Be comfortable with it. Don't keep using borrowed weapons. Have one that is yours. You watch someone who's a real servant of the Lord You watch someone who's out there Really, really pastoring And and again, I think of Les Because he's just Mr. Scripture mouth I mean, everything that comes out Blah, 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 blah And I'm like, where's that? Where's that? Okay, can I tell me where that's coming from? You know Have you seen his Bible? It's a mess But it isn't for him He knows where everything is And that is what we need, Jay Know where your stuff is rightly handled this is what Paul said 2 Timothy 2.15 be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth how do I do that? get a hold of one and take it everywhere you go and let this be what you write in and what you scroll all over and, and where you've got you know dog-eared pages I, I pray your Bibles will be absolute messes to everybody but you because you know it so well Paul says in 2 Timothy four two he says to Timothy preach the word and he says be ready in season and out of season reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine I'm afraid gang the time has come when the world will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Listen, I will keep teaching here for the purpose of nurturing and maturation, but here's your part. You are called to learn how to handle the Word accurately. So do it. Take it with you. Gentlemen, ladies, when you're walking out the front door to work with you, Take your sword. Let it be with you wherever it goes. Don't have a nice, tidy little place on the shelf for it at home. Take it when you go grocery shopping. You don't freak some people out, but have it in the cart. (laughs) Put it in the cart. Take it to copy. Anywhere you go, plop that thing down, because you never know when God might be saying, Hey, I want you to see something here. I want you to know something. Handle the Word. Accurately, but Moses continues, verse three, on another spiritual front. He says, "Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you." And I draw back a little bit. Baal Peor, Baal Peor. What what, what happened there? Do you remember that story? Numbers chapter twenty-five tells of a massive compromising rebellion of the Israelites at a place called Peor, with a people called the Moabites. And the Moabites knew they couldn't overpower Israel. They knew they didn't have the strength to fight Israel. And so they got some advice from a sneaky seer by the name of Balaam. You may remember the story. Balaam told Balak, the king of the Moabites, he said, hey, here's how you get these people. You can't fight them. You can't overpower them. But you can compromise them. And here's how you do it. Dress up your daughters and have them walk in front of the men of Israel. It's always a dangerous thing. Have them walk out there. Invite them to your celebrations where you are eating food sacrificed to the idol of Baal. Don't tell them right up front you want them to worship Baal. Just invite them to the celebration of Baal. And it'll be great. You will undermine them. Revelation two fourteen tells us that Balaam kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of adult, uh, of immorality. But I see this situation, and Israel had been walking for forty years, coming toward the promised land with Moses, with the Lord, seeing the fire by night, the cloud by day. And I wonder, when the Moabites began to tempt them and to seduce them, why did they fall so quickly? Why did they fall so easily? Okay, because they didn't understand that they were in a spiritual battle. They were looking ahead to who they could fight physically. Trying to prepare for physical warfare. They had no idea that they were on the second battlefield. That is the spiritual battlefield. And my friends, we are not engaged in physical warfare. That is not what the church is about. Sexual immorality, drugs, materialism, pride, lust, greed, lying, selfishness. You want to know why we continue to fail in these areas? You want to know why the flesh continues to overtake us in our spiritual lives? The truth is, gang, these things are outward symptoms of a much deeper issue. McDowell, again, in his book, The Last Christian Generation, wrote the following, and this should shock you. He says 63% of church kids don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. 63% in this generation of kids who go to church I'm not talking about the kids who are hanging out doing other things I'm talking about church kids 63% don't believe Jesus is the son of God 58% believe that all faiths teach equally valid truths pick and choose what are you comfortable with doesn't matter all rivers leading to the sea right it's all just one big happy family 51% uh, church kids don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. Didn't happen. 65% don't believe, and this is important, they don't believe Satan's a real entity. It's just a force, you know. If anything, just bad choices. 68%, even worse, don't believe the Holy Spirit is a real entity. And if you don't believe the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ is available to you and your Christian walk, that's a way to live empty, right there. That's scary stuff. We are on a spiritual battlefield, and you know what? What upsets me now, because I worked for years and years in youth ministry, and I saw this trend, and I saw this happening among kids, not believing, not hearing the word. But we have adults sitting in church today who have no idea what sin really is, or maybe they do, but it doesn't matter. Church makes me feel good on Sunday So that's where I go Sunday morning But the rest of my life I'm going to do what makes me feel good too Even if it's in direct conflict With what I'm hearing in the word It doesn't matter I can live however I want I'm drinking too much I can sleep around I can get involved in shady business deals And I can have God on the side And if you are here this morning And you think that It is a lie That it's not the truth You can't just go off and live however you want And that's cool Grace will cover me Hey, grace covers our sin completely, wholly, 100%. And we're not saved by our actions. I'll tell you what, gang. You're killing yourselves if you think that you can have both. I want the Lord, and I want the world. I'll take the Lord when I want Him, when it fits my schedule. And then, well, I'll spend the rest of the time in the world. Again, we have to realize the spiritual nature of the battle. Paul says in Ephesians 6:12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now stop there. You may hear that and think, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to be fighting others. I'm talking about yourself, too. Your battle is not against your own flesh and blood, it's against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. All this is going on. Frank Peretti was right. And this is the truth. There is a spiritual battle going on. And we are to handle the word accurately. We're to do that. But the second thing you've got to have, and it's the only other weapon that we are given in this spiritual battle, is to hear the Spirit prayerfully. We have the Bible and we have prayer. And that's it. And that's all we need. In fact, it's far more than enough. To hear the Spirit prayerfully. Paul in Ephesians 6.18 says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Well, Rick, I wouldn't be praying right now because I don't want to interrupt your teaching. You should be praying right now. I've said this before. You should be in conversation and communion with God throughout everything that's happening here. And as you leave, and as you drive home in the car, and as you go to the Arts and Crafts Festival, and as you do whatever you're going to do today, And as you walk throughout the week, Paul would say, he did say, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And like Israel at Peor, we fall prey when we fail to pray. We fall prey to the spiritual forces when we fail to pray to our Father. Paul says literally pray at all times in the spirit now listen carefully because we're going to delve into an area that that we're a very unique fellowship because as many of you know so many different backgrounds have joined together in this place it's a non-denominational it's an independent church so it's not based on any one system of belief it's just hey let's get together and see what God has in his word that's the foundation for the bridge gang So you can't tie this fellowship to any denomination. However, when we come in here, there are times where things may be taught or said that are a little uncomfortable because they go against your tradition. I encourage you to go right back here and test and study everything that's said in here. Because my traditions have been blown way out of the water. The things that I used to believe, I don't that I no longer believe simply because of what the word says. And so I'm going to share something here, it may make some uncomfortable, others will embrace it and be ready to jump off and go, "Woohoo, here we go." Let's meet in the middle. What does it mean to pray in the spirit? What does that mean? Pray in the spirit. I've heard that phrase before, so what does it mean? I know it's very popular in more charismatic circles. Pray in the spirit. What does that mean? And can I do that? Well, Paul commanded that you do it, so maybe we ought to try to understand it. Remember John's admonition about not needing teachers. Listen to what he said. I want to say this one more time. 1 John 2.27. He said, As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. That word anointing is a great word in the Greek. It's chrisma. Not charisma. It's chrisma. What does chrisma mean? It means smearing. John says, if you've come to Christ, you have been smeared all over with the Holy Spirit. I kind of like that. I've been smeared. You know, he slimed me. He's gotten all over me. I have an anointing that is on me of the Holy Spirit all over, in and around me. And gang, listen, praying in the Spirit is exactly what it sounds like. Praying in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It means to pray in the Spirit. How simple can we get? It's praying in the power of and the sphere of the Holy Spirit. It is entering into His realm, into His place. It's being where He is. And you might say, well, I thought praying in the Spirit had to do with having a special prayer language of some kind. But I have to be able to speak out some kind of a a prayer language. I have to be able to speak in tongues. And there are churches, and this is not one of them, that would say that speaking in tongues is a measure of righteousness. It's not. It's one of many gifts. It is a gift, and not to be ignored in scripture, but it's one of many. So what is praying what would the prayer language idea? What does that mean? Listen, I'm beginning to understand something about this as I learn to come before the Lord, and I learn to quiet and to still and to listen to him. Some of you have a prayer language where you will go on your own or in a quiet spot and you'll begin to, to pray and, and a language will be spoken that you don't even know exactly what you're saying and as you speak speaking this in time as you quiet yourself before the Lord you begin to hear and understand what God's will is now for those of you who have never experienced a prayer language you're going okay <laughs> great is that like Joseph Smith stuff now are we right back to are we getting weird here no we're not prayer language praying in the spirit is very biblical But I want you to understand why. And I just came to understand this recently. And I hope I'm not wrong. How's that for a setup? (laughs) I am beginning to understand, my friends, that the prayer languages are simply mechanisms for uncluttering the mind so that you can hear the Spirit i say that again. Prayer languages are, mechan- are mechanisms for uncluttering the mind so that you can hear what the Spirit of God has to say. What do you mean? I'll let Paul tell you. 1 Corinthians 14.14 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now Paul is talking about something where words are coming out and he doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't understand what he's saying and even his mind doesn't get it. It's unfruitful. What am I saying? I have no idea. But listen to what he says Clear, carefully here. First Corinthians 14.14 14, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then, he says? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with the mind. In other words, there's two ways you can pray. I'm going to pray in the spirit. I'm not going to know exactly what it is that I'm saying, but my mind is unfruitful. It's cleared out so I can hear what God's saying. I'm also going to pray with the mind. And that's what Paul means in Ephesians 6.18 where he says, with all petitions and prayers, pray in the Spirit at all times. There are times where you are speaking and you're saying, Lord, this is my heart's desire. This is what I believe you want. This is what we need to see happen. And the words are coming out and it's understandable and it's clear. And there are other times where you're just going, I don't know what to pray. God, I know I'm supposed to be praying here, but I have no idea what even to say to you. Ever been in those places? How many of you, when you start to pray, go like within 10, 15 seconds? Father, I'm just so grateful to have two hours to be alone with you. Oh, oh yeah, and and Lord, um, uh, you know, I just I, I appreciate that you're you're here, and I can't believe how Jack Bauer got away with that last night. Oh no, and Father, how many? begin your prayers like this Father I'm sorry it's been so long <laughs> Lord I wish that I could pray better and we just go over and over this stuff Paul says pray at all times praying with the mind listen to this praying with the mind is dependent it is dependent on my thoughts on my requests on my petitions however praying in the spirit is transcendent It's when I don't know what to pray. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul says, The Spirit helps our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And here's the idea behind praying in the Spirit. Here's the idea behind a prayer language. It's to stop working it out so that God can work it out for you. It's to still and quiet the mind. And you know what God used to explain this to me finally in my life after so many years? Movies. And it's the funniest thing. And I, I think I shared this on a Wednesday night a couple weeks back, but I was talking to Laura Pierce, our children's director, and we were laughing because we both have this tendency to never stop thinking. That's the kind of twisted mind Pastor Rick has I don't stop thinking It's 24-7 You know I'd be sitting there And I might look like I'm just But I'm thinking And I'm running from place to place to place to place and I shared before how funny it is. No, I'm not going to say this because I've said it before. And i sure I'm going to let you off the hook. I'm not going to share that story. All right. Um, anyway, so I'm just always thinking. And I was sitting there talking with Laura about this. And she goes, me too. I can't stop thinking. And I said, you know why I love movies so much? It's because that's when I stop thinking. For two hours, I'm not thinking about anything but just what's happening up there. I can just go, Ugh. You know? And then the movie ends and the credit runs. And I see a name and I'm off. Think it again. And I am thinking, thinking, thinking. And I think sometimes it would drive me insane if I didn't have a little mechanism by which I could just stop. And I looked at Laura and I laughed and I said, you know what? Movies are my prayer language.
1: (laughs) That's it. That's
0: when my mind is still and I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm not wandering off in my own world I'm, I'm focused right on one thing and listen movies are not my prayer language by the way I don't turn on 24 to get still before the Lord that's not what I'm talking about here but praying in the spirit is about mental stillness before the Lord that's what praying in the spirit is it's not mental emptiness it's not you know vacating your mind that's new age teaching that's eastern mysticism it's not voiding my mind to allow channeling it's stilling my mind. As the Lord says, Psalm 46.10, Cease striving. Some of your versions say, Be still. And know that I am God. And just recently, a dear friend of mine made the comment, I just don't know how to get still. And maybe you need to say, Lord, teach me to pray in the Spirit. So how do we do that, Rick? What what do we do? How do we receive this this prayer language? Because I want this. I want this. And I'm going to tell you to do exactly what I've done in my life. Say, Lord, would you teach me to pray in the Spirit? Because, friends, I've gone to so many different people and friends and, and others in my life and I've gotten so much information about speaking in tongues, about prayer languages, about praying in the Spirit, so much information that I cannot work it out. And I have found myself at times trying to get still before the Lord and going, I got nothing, Lord. And I've learned that all the intellect and working it out in the world will not help you. So I encourage you, if you want to pray in the Spirit, would you just ask the Lord to teach you to pray in the Spirit? He is a gracious Father. He will give what we ask for. And if you're uncomfortable with the whole concept, don't ask. He still loves you. But if you want to learn to get still before the Lord, gang, I think we've got to take it to the Lord and say, Father, I want to focus on you. And by the way, those of you who speak in a prayer language and have used it, listen very closely. The focus is not your prayer language. The focus is the Holy Spirit. The prayer language is just mechanics, gang. The focus is being still before the Lord and being in the presence of Jesus Christ. So take your heart to the Lord. Jude twenty one and twenty and twenty one says, Beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So handle the word accurately. Hear the Spirit prayerfully. And I got one last thing to tell you. I know it's a little warm in here, but you're not moving around like I am, so hang in there. Deuteronomy verse four, chapter four. Moses said but you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today every one of you the third thing we do we handle the word accurately we hear the spirit prayerfully and we hold fast obediently and this may shock you but you need to understand something here obedience comes before understanding process that obedience comes before understanding God doesn't let us work it all out figure it all out and then obey He says I want you to obey first and then you will understand. What do you mean? Look at verse 5 and 6. See, I have taught you the statutes, Moses said, the judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. You want to know, gang, why we won't understand Why, or why we don't understand why, is because we so often fail to obey. God says, you obey me, and that is your understanding. You do as I say, not understanding it, and your wisdom will come. And your understanding will flow out of that. And this last Thursday morning, we had men's prayer, which I was a little late for just by way of confession to you all. And uh, as, after we were all done praying, Gary had asked to hang, spend some time with me that morning. So I said, great, I'm taking breakfast. So we went to breakfast. And we walked up to my house, and he's carrying this big, awkward uh, bowl, um, kind of shallow and big honking thing. He's just carrying it with him. You know, It's kind of funny looking, because here's this, you know, a studly guy carrying this, Kitchen utensil. Anyway, we got up to the house and um, he left it at the house and went to breakfast and came back. And then Gary said, You know, God asked me to do something. And I don't know how you feel about this, but I think I'm supposed to wash your feet. I'm like, ah oh, I should have showered. <laughs> like, have you seen my feet? And we kind of laughed and he said, The Lord. The Lord wants me to wash your feet. And then he said, I have no idea why. And I'm like, neither do I. Unless Cheryl called you and said, do something. So we went out on the back porch and sat down and he got out his little bowl. That's what it was for. Oh, that's a foot washing bowl. Cool. It happens? Yeah. We market everything in the church.
1: So he sets that thing down
0: and I take off my shoes and socks and he begins to wash my feet and to pray over me and, um, and it was precious and it was touching and, and there were things that I understood through that process I'm not going to share with you because it was so personal to me and it's personal to Gary but the reason I share that is just to say that obedience precedes understanding Gary had no idea why he felt like he was supposed to do that It didn't make sense. For two guys, it was a strange occurrence. And yet, it was so right on target, and it is exactly what I needed on Thursday morning. And it's what he needed. And so he finished, and I said, I said, Gary... Not my feet only, but my hands and my head too. No, I didn't didn't do that. For those of you who know the story, if you in your life, please hear me on this, we're just about through, if you in your life are saying, I want a better understanding of God's will, obey. Obey. If you want to understand better, obey. If you in your life are saying, I want to stop sinning and start living for Jesus, Obey. You may not understand why. You may not understand the what of it all. But if you will obey the Father first, your wisdom and your understanding will come. We say to God, Give me understanding and I'll do what you say. And God says, Do what I say and I'll give you understanding. And it's not easy. But it's the commander's battle cry to his precious army. And Jesus said, Revelation 3.10, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance... I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. He's going to pull you out before the bad stuff happens. But then he says these words, Revelation 3.11, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hold fast, the commander says. Hold fast, Jesus says. Hold fast obediently. And by the way, did you notice the divining characteristic of those Israelites back in verse 4 who did hold fast? They were alive. They were alive. You want to be alive in Christ Jesus? You want to live in Christ? Then obey. Obey Him. These people didn't get dead, as Leticia would say. They got alive. Because to live is Christ. And Paul says in Philippians 2.15, Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as light in the world, holding fast holding fast to the word of life. And have you ever noticed how alive some of Jesus' followers are? They're those people, those Christians, man, I just want to be like them because you can see, you look in their eyes and you see just this, this longing for Jesus, this incredible joy. You hear a lilt in their songs. It was great. I don't know if you heard it this morning, but a little Christian was sitting right down here on the front row singing his lungs out. Didn't get a single word right and I don't believe hit a single note right either. Yeah! I'm looking down and his eyes are closed and he's just praising the Lord with all that he had. And I'm going, I can't even hear the next note, (laughs) Christopher. But that little kid was alive in Jesus this morning. You can see it in his face. For those of you who couldn't see his face, we should have shown his face up on the screen. We don't have that kind of technology. But if we did, we could show you those who obey Christ are alive in Christ and that may be what you're missing you see other Christians you go I believe in the same Lord but I'm just not there then my encouragement to you is to hold fast obediently is there an area in your life where you are not obeying what the Lord is asking you to do where you are rebelling against or rejecting something of the Lord and you're feeling kind of dead then get alive. Obey. First John 5:12. He who has the Son has the life. And verse twenty of first John five. He says, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Hold fast obediently. Hear the Spirit prayerfully. Handle the Word accurately. And you, my friends, you will live. You'll live. And Father, we want to live. We want to be people that are so alive in You. It is unmistakable. As Moses spoke of Israel, we want the nations around us, the peoples around us, to see the light here. To see the wisdom and the understanding that doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from just obedience. Simple, plain obedience to You, Father. Lord, You call us to obey. Give us, Father, the strength to obey. Father, crush our will and discard it that we might walk in Your will. Bring us before You to do as You ask us to do. To hear Your voice. To cling to Your Word. And to obey You, Father. This morning as we pray, some of you need to make a first step of obedience. Can make a first step of obedience to the Lord by simply asking Jesus to come into your heart and be your Savior. And if that's you, you can pray easily with me to the Spirit of God. Pray these words. Lord, I'm a sinner and I have been in rebellion to you. But I want to obey. Because I want to live. I accept the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross where he took the place of my sins. And I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior this morning. And those of you who have come into Christ and have prayed that prayer before, if there's an act of obedience in your life that you are putting off, I, I implore you, I plea with you, to obey the Father. And perhaps we all need to pray together in our hearts before the Lord. Lord Jesus, make me a bond servant, one who obeys your every beck and call. Lord Jesus, if there is something in my life I'm missing, if there is an area where I am standing in overt rebellion to You, I pray that You would help me simply to obey You. Help me obey. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen.